I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Story time. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A friend of mine went to Afghanistan and got stationed in an area that was used as a base by the Soviets. He swears that sometimes when he was on sentry duty he could hear whispers that didn't sound like English or the local languages. 
He's convinced he heard Russian. One time at an Air Force base in the ROK we had a power outage at night. All of us walked out of our hangar doors to take a see what the problem may have been and we saw a very, very large triangular shape passing over our hangar. It was a clear moonless night previously and when we went outside to look around we noticed the starscape being covered then slowly uncovered. No sound associated with the event other than normal sounds of the location. I'll never forget. Used to be F-22 avionics for the USAF, 2A 3x2, no shred, at an undisclosed base, a light appeared above the flight line moving in odd ways and hovering. We called it into our one and he called other AMS to ensure there were no sorties being flown that we didn't know about. Shortly after F-22s and 16s were scrambled and could not intercept the object. It disappeared into the night. We saw this go down from our flight line. Shortly after, we were informed that this never happened. My dad's stories. He served in the Taiwanese Marines as a drill sergeant. Much of the ground in Taiwan saw violence under occupation and it was rumored his base was built on or near a mass grave. Needless to say he's had a few paranormal stories. He had a guy report to him in the morning exhausted but frazzled. The night before, he had been on guard duty, overlooking the firing range. The targets on the range were a mix of clay and wood figures, cut and drawn to look like an enemy soldier aiming a rifle at you. According to the guard, when he'd been bored out of his mind staring out over the range, he saw clear as day one of the clay soldiers wearily lay down his rifle and exclaimed damn, I'm tired. The guard said he passed out from fright. During the evening, when training was over, the sergeants for the most part had the time to themselves. My dad liked to go snake hunting during dusk, when the heat was rising from the ground and the snakes came out of their holes. So one evening he sets out, carrying a bag, a nice long stick, and a flashlight. As he was making his way across the field, zigzagging in a search pattern, he found himself getting closer and closer to an old, decrepit outhouse that had been abandoned as it was too far from the main base. As he got within a few yards of it, he was hit with a sudden feeling of apprehension. Something told him going near the outhouse was a bad idea. At that moment, his flashlight, aimed right at the construct, went out. He fiddled with the battery, smacked it, thought better get a new battery, and turned around to head back. The moment he turned and faced the main base, the flashlight flickered back on. Great, time to keep hunting. The moment he turned to face the outhouse, it flickered off again. Face the base, it flickered on. He did this two or three times, got the message, verbally apologized for intruding, turned and walked calmly back to base. The base itself was surrounded by forest and mountains, the natural terrain of Taiwan. One day a soldier was reported missing, as the day went on, it was clear that he'd either deserted or was in serious trouble. A manhunt or rescue team was organized and most of the base was out searching for the guy as the rain started to come in. As night fell they called it off, and got ready to try again tomorrow. They found him in the morning, huddled in a wet, dark cave, scared speechless and out of his mind. No one was sure what he saw to cause him to freak out, and they never found out, they shipped the guy out soon afterwards. Finally, one of his years on the base, it was hit with a huge typhoon. 
Typhoons are pretty regular in Taiwan, especially during the summer, but this one was going to set records. Everyone hunkered down and reinforced the base as best they could, and it held well, and after days of relentless rain and wind, they emerged to survey the damage. One of the trees on base had been hundreds of years old, it sat on a hill and overlooked the base, and so had been the site of a Buddhist shrine set at its roots. Now the roots twisted and turned into the air, the storm had torn the tree from the ground. And yet, the shrine itself was untouched, even the red silk covering, with nothing weighing it down, hadn't moved an inch despite the winds that had finally torn the great tree from its hill after hundreds of years. The soldiers took this as a sign that despite whatever would be thrown against them, their spirit would remain strong and unmoved. It's an old superstition amongst Navy SEALs that your last mission is the unluckiest. I believe it. When I reread the following excerpts from my journal it is evident. The completion of my most lucrative but bloodiest outing was uncanny. I have changed all the names. Most of you will refuse to believe my story. I know what happened, and I need to share my story. I was digging a grave. The Sierra Nevada mountain range stretched on for endless miles in front of me. Creosote and sagebrush scents dried my nose as a tall shadow appeared over the hole I dug. The unknown man had a gun in his left hand, but it was not pointed at me yet. Marine Corps Sergeant Lawson, the stranger said, I'm Navy SEAL Commander Joseph Card. Pleased to meet you. I dropped my shovel and squinted upwards. A special warfare insignia SEAL Trident pin glimmered on the lapel of Card's shirt. I wondered if I could disarm him. It was a tactical disadvantage that he was above ground while I was six feet under. There was no way of reversing roles in the fight, and I did not have intentions of making that ditch my place of burial. Not my name, I said. I resumed my work and tightened the grip on the handle and dug the end of the shovel into the earth. I know it is, he said. You're the only one with that ink job. The tattoo he had referred to was on my right bicep and it read Saint, a dead sinner revised and edited. If you'll excuse me, I said, I have more holes to dig. People around here have to bury their loved ones. Tomorrow's a busy day for the cemetery. I need your service. I know your kill count. You've helped this country. They used to call you the spreader of death. I threw the shovel into the wall of muck and looked up at him while wiping sweat off my forehead. I'm out of the service, I said. If I wanted to go on another mission I would have re-enlisted. This isn't for the government. I'm offering you a chance to do something good and make a fortune at the same time. Are you interested? No. You're wasting talent. You were born to save people and stop threats. This type of work is honorable, I said as I pointed at the shovel. It's practical. I don't kill, I honor the dead now. It's grueling, thankless and doesn't pay. Come with me. Time is finite. Card bent down and extended his hand to help out. No, I said. I grabbed the handle again and proceeded to dig. Card raised the gun. It was a tranquilizer device. I had seen the design before in Afghanistan. The barrel had a syringe spring out from the end of it along with a burst of brightness. A stinging sensation swelled on my neck. Dizziness overcame my vision as my eyelids grew heavy. I picked up the shovel and threw it at Card before he dodged it. You'll thank me in four hours, he said. Blackness covered the sky and swallowed my world. I woke up in a chair. Fatigue enveloped my body. 
My sight became clearer and I looked around. I was in front of a wooden table. Monochrome walls with expansive windows overlooked grassy plains. A wide theater-sized screen was at the end of the air-conditioned room. Card moved towards where I sat and handed me a jug of blue Gatorade. I nodded at him in, thanks, much too tired to show the malice I felt, and took a long gulp. Don't try to fight once you're hydrated, Card said. I didn't want to sedate you, but time is running out. Sit back and listen to the mission details. Remember, I'm trying to help you get rich. Where am I? Westover Hills, an older sounding man said. Texas. I stared in the direction of the echoing and unfamiliar voice. It originated from an individual in a suit and tie who sat at the end of the slab. A diamond-studded watch was on his wrist and he had a mop of slicked-back gray hair. There were four other men around the table. They wore casual dress shirts and pants. Their tattoos and demeanors gave them away as blue-collar veterans. I could tell some were also not brought there by choice. My name is Howard LaSalle, the man said as he stood up and walked near the forefront of the table. I know you've all had run-ins with Mr. Card, so I'll skip his introduction. The four of us looked at each other. The Howard LaSalle from Forbes? One of the grunts said. The billionaire Howard LaSalle? That's me. Pay attention to what Card has to say. Card cleared his throat while he stood in front of the screen, a remote control in his hand. Welcome, the SEAL said. Everyone, meet our newest guest, Keith Lawson. He's a valiant Marine Corps sergeant. He's been on special operations in Afghanistan. He was part of Enduring Freedom and other classified missions. I never took compliments well. I nodded at the group around the table. Also meet Josue Morales, an army ranger enlisted for many years. He hunted Noriega in the jungles of Panama as part of Operation Just Cause. Morales nodded. He looked younger than his actual age, but his stare reflected his time on the front lines. Meet Anthony Dryden, someone who's done work as a TF for years and has been a combat rescue officer in the Air Force. Dryden wore a black and white Jack Daniels ball cap. He pulled out a can of wintergreen tobacco chew and placed the dip in the side of his mouth. Meet Matthew Hain. Hain began his military career as an EOD. He became a member of DevGru. He has participated in acts of counter-terrorism. Hain had the look in his eyes of someone who wanted to get on with the details. Mr. LaSalle's daughter is kidnapped in Mexico, Card said. Her name is Victoria. She is a popular YouTube blogger. Vlogger, LaSalle said, with a V. Right, Card said. Her boyfriend Robert Lucas tagged along with her on their trip. Their goal was to film various locales down there. They were what the youth call urbex filmmakers. They were searching for an abandoned temple. According to lore, it is a place where the dead get rehydrated and fed to snakes thirsty for blood. It's known in legend as the Templo de Pucan. A place of ancient artifacts and dangerous creatures. I don't think it exists, but they did. During their search, they bribed tourist guides to try and get to it. They ran into some lethal people called Entre Los Scorpions. This translates to among the scorpions. They are one of the most vicious cartels in that region. This is their emblem. Card clicked a button on the device. The screen lit up behind him with an image of a gold ring resting on the back of a scorpion with a razor-sharp stinger. Card clicked the device again, and a picture of a woman holding an AK-47 came up. She had hair black as a well of ink. 
She wore a sand-colored bulletproof vest with another weapon slung over her shoulder. Their leader earned the nickname Devorador de Almas, the Soul Devourer, pictured here. Her real name is Alessia Bakkerin. We have confirmed Lucas is dead. They are threatening to end Victoria's life. They told Mr. LaSalle they would return his daughter for a price. They now want $3 billion. I have a lot of money, LaSalle said while his eyes darkened, but not that amount. So, you all are the help chosen to retrieve her. I picked each one of you for a very specific purpose. I went down to Xochimilco alone before deciding a train team was necessary. I discovered film in a cave Lucas hidden before capture. Card turned around and began playing the found footage. Victoria and Robert laughed in the first scene. They walked down the lanes of Mercado Merced and Mercado Sonora. They went into street markets in Mexico between rows of flea shop stands. They went into an occult bazaar with mason jars, voodoo dolls, spirit boards and candles. A man wearing robes and rings on every finger gazed up at them as they entered. Where can we find the Templo de Pucan? Robert asked. The shaman gave them directions to an outer borough of Mexico City. The two took a riverboat. The famous island of dolls were there. The miniature mannequins hung in the trees. Their burnt plastic bodies were beneath a wooden sign. Spray-painted words designated the area as off-limits. A jump cut in the film occurred. They stood at the mouth of a cave. A scream erupted. It was victorious. A gun's muzzle showed up on the right-hand side of the camera view, and a black-gloved hand wrapped around Robert's throat. The camera fell to the ground and the screen went black. Card clicked again. A photograph of a large mansion made of clay surrounded by fertile green land came up. This is our target, Card said. We infiltrate, take out any threats, and question for more info. Bakarin's group resides here when they're not taking hostages or invading villages. Someone inside knows Victoria's location. We can be there by tomorrow. Let's eat, drink, and rest tonight. We save her life after sunup. $2 million each if you bring Victoria back alive, LaSalle said. The chopper you'll be traveling in has anti-radar. A picture of Victoria LaSalle came up on the screen. She was 22 years old. I looked at the image of the young woman. I thought of her callow worldview. Her inherent trust of people and the online gold rush of fame led to her kidnapping. I still believe that the situation she was in was undeserving. Despite how much I disliked the way Card drafted me, I felt I still had to help. If it was only in remembrance of the girl's spirit by exacting revenge, it would be worth it. We leave tomorrow morning, Card said. Your lodging for the night is down the hall. What kind of gear are we getting? Morales asked. You'll see. We left the boardroom. I know the Devorador de Almos, Morales said. We walked down a hallway with windows which overlooked a golf course. Morales looked straight ahead. His eyes seemed to peer on into forever before he continued. She has killed some of my family. I can't wait to squeeze life out of her. Stepping onto the four-bladed, navy-style Black Hawk chopper made me feel at home. It sat on a black and yellow painted helipad built onto a piece of land owned by LaSalle. The smell of sweat and exhaust bombarded us when we went into the chopper. The pilot ignored us and focused on the controls of the dashboard. My boots landed on the floor's ringlets and pipes locked for stretchers and extra seats. I buckled up. The open back cargo area held our weaponry. 
We were all carrying USB 45 tactical handguns with threaded barrels and suppressors. Our primary weapon of choice was the M14 SOCOM or AK-47Ts. In the incident of a firefight, we would be able to reload by stripping the combatants' bodies of ammunition. It was the same as what the cartel carried. Our body armor was class 3 of plates made of carbon fiber. Bow fang radios were on our belts alongside our holsters. We carried 4 grenades each. I had a World War II era K-Bar. Some of the others carried SOG seal pub blades and benchmade knives. In the back of the chopper were 6 old Soviet rocket-propelled grenade launchers. There were also mounts, multi-tools, and attachable advanced optical combat gun sights, a COGS. I donned bracers which kept my blades secure and within easy reach beneath the long sleeves of my top. It took less than a minute for the Black Hawk to enter the air. The planes below were specks. The houses resembled motionless ants. Some of us were still assembling our guns as we drifted in the atmosphere. We are going to scout the mansion, Card said. We do recon after stalking the premises. If we find the target, we take her in for questioning. Remember how this is a rescue mission. We neutralize threats only when left with no other choice. I looked over at Morales. He pulled out a key chain and stared at it. It had a scorpion frozen in a block of amber attached to the metal pieces. I kept my head down as we passed the outlines of cathedrals, colleges, and museums in Mexico City. Their earthen-tinged buildings reflected the clouds and sunlight. There were estates the size of city blocks surrounded by gates below. We kept ourselves fed with protein bars and water as we neared a stretch of land filled with rivers. The landscape resembled a labyrinth of cracked dirt a child had spilled a bucket of water over. The Black Hawk landed on a hillside facing a field of legumes and different varieties of grass. Cart ordered us off, and we began running along the mound. We marched for half a mile before the mansion came into view. Elevated walls with marble slats formed a canopy above a terrace and swimming pool. Black-framed windows and roof gardens held verdant plant life. Gapola shrubberies lined the outskirts of two different courtyards. One was in the front and back. Both had white and pink tiles which looked as though they had been dug out from a holy structure and brought there. Beige beams and silver railings encircled a dark wooden spiral staircase. This was visible from where we were because of the absence of glass. A statue stood next to the swimming pool. It looked like Lady Justice. Instead of scales she held a snake in one hand and a severed head in the other. Do you know what that statue is? I asked Morales. The dope god Olokun, he said. She is always carried by the cartel. Get down, Card said. We laid flat on our stomachs and took cover behind a row of bushes. We peered through the sights of our sniper rifles. Card pulled out a pair of infrared binoculars. Lots of scorpions there, he said. Remember, the less engagement the better. We'll wait here all night for Alessia if we have to. I looked out at the rear courtyard. Two men walked. One was a scorpion. His uniform was normal for the group. He had on beige khakis, a tactical overcoat and an AK-47. He was pointing his weapon at the second man, who was in his seventies. The old man's hands were behind his back as the scorpion prodded him along. He kicked the hostage in the back of the knees. The elder dropped, and the scorpion aimed the rifle at his head. The scorpion hit the old man with the butt of the weapon and made him squirm. I aimed at the scorpion's kill zone. 
I squeezed the trigger. A crimson trail floated from the hostel as he fell to the ground. Shouting flared up. Seven scorpions flooded out of the estate. Dryden picked off two of them in a matter of seconds as I shot another. Circle the perimeter, Card yelled. Morales, stay on Lawson 6 and take the right. Dryden, take the front courtyard and stick with Hain. I'll get around to the back and start clearing the house. We don't want them calling reinforcements. We sprinted towards the mansion. A member fired shots at us as we took cover behind a marble block behind potted plants. Bullets chewed through the stone as I returned fire. Morales unsheathed his sog blade, stood up when the fire had ceased, and threw it. The knife landed in the enemy's eyes. His body tumbled back as he continued to unleash a spray of lead everywhere. The back of his skull cracked open with the impact of the fall. Advance, Morales shouted. We moved further up to an overhang supported by clay beams. A member fired shots at us from the inside. Morales was thrust backwards in the air. I squeezed the trigger at the opening. I whipped around and scanned the area for advancing movements. Are you okay? I asked. I'm fine, Morales said while standing up. The bullet must have hurt, but his vest protected him. We trailed along the western side of the house. We glanced around the corner to see Hain evade a chucked Molotov before it burst. Hain shot the man who had tried to kill him. The smell of fuel was pungent in the air as his combatant's lifeless form buckled. Hain kicked in the door and entered the place. We followed behind him, our guns at the ready. The main foyer had a large spiral staircase and an open area which resembled a hotel lobby. Three waited for us. Hain's armor got hit as he executed the first attacker. Morales took out the secondary. The third unloaded a round at us as I shot him in the arm. His gun dropped and he fell to the tile. He unsheathed the hatchet, stood up and ran towards me with a wail. I gave him two rounds to the neck before he went limp and face planted. Card's voice rang out. Grenade. We went to the ground and covered our ears. An explosion rocked the eastern side of the mansion. Debris showered us. We concealed our faces from the cloud of destruction as best we could. Card came down from the blitz staircase, dragging two bodies with him. He threw them down to our level as he leapt over the railing. Dust and gore blanketed him. Take what they have and reload, he said. It's clear from the bottom up. We have the basement left to search. Go. Our commander pointed at an oak wooden door swung open in the far left corner. I was in the front of the group. I turned on the flashlight attached to my scope. I descended a rickety old staircase to the subterranean part of the narco mansion. Card was closest to my side with the others following. We entered a Baroque-style wine cellar. Copper plates hung on the walls. Shelves with carved drawings on their oak held long rows of bottles. A scorpion jumped out from behind a wood barrel. I grabbed his arm and broke his wrist and slammed my hand into his solar plexus. He doubled over and I gave him a knee to the face. I grabbed the back of his head, swept his feet out from under him and placed him in a rear naked choke. Card tapped me on the shoulder. Don't kill him, he said. Let him go. He might have some answers we need. He's the only one left alive. I released him and stood up. Card had Morales translate his questions into Spanish. Where is the soul devourer? Where is Victoria LaSalle? The scorpion spat on Card. Card pulled out his handgun and shot the man in the left knee. 
Tell him that he'll be wheelchair bound for the rest of his life unless he starts talking, Card said to Morales. The man began crying as Morales repeated the words. He says that there is a map leading to where they are, Morales said. The Templo de Pucan. It's in the head of the Ola Kun statue near the pool. Retrieve it, Card said after facing me. Dryden, you go with him. I went up the basement steps and out towards the pool. I passed piles of bodies. At least 20 scorpions lay dead. A fire was burning the ground on the other side of the mansion from the throne Molotov. The old man who was a former hostage of the first scorpion I shot it was lying down, bleeding but alive. I cut the restraints binding his wrists. I gave him an MRE and advised him to go home. He thanked me and went into the desert. I approached the Olokun statue. I drove my K-bar into the head she held. I slipped my black gloves on. I dug my fingers into the hollow interior and pulled out a thick piece of brown parchment covered in grime. Morales stared at the map after Card grabbed it. He unfolded it on the surface of a table in the cellar. We let the scorpion go after Dryden administered aid to him in the form of a tourniquet. We gave him a fractured beam to use as a walking stick. I helped him up the stairs and brought him to the edge of the property. We made sure he did not have a cell phone or radio. I wished him good luck as he hobbled away. I knew the environment, coupled with the severity of his injuries, was going to take his life. This does point to the Templo de Pucan, Morales said. That can't be right. The temple is a myth. It's a place destroyed during a war between rival Mayan kingdoms in the 5th century. We're about to see if it's real or not, I said. I reloaded my AK-47. We sat in the back of the Black Hawk, flying through the air in a direction using the map's coordinates. Morales took off his vest and revealed bruising around his ribs. I gave him my vest since his got damaged. I went into the back and retrieved a new one. Your tattoo, Morales said. Who wrote it? Ambrose Bierce, I said. It's the definition of a saint from his book The Devil's Dictionary. What does it do for you? It reminds me how nobody's perfect. Keeps me from self-loathing. Thanks for what you did back there, Morales said. What you did back there was hot-headed, Card said. Good job to the rest of the team for dealing with the jarhead's mistake. I took the criticism, aware the firefight started with me trying to do the fair thing in saving an old man's life. Straight on, the pilot shouted. We stared. It can't be. Morales said. A moss-covered pyramid made of old stones came into view on the horizon. It was the ancient building seen in countless historic drawings. I thought of human sacrifices painted blue and brought to the top. My mind could not escape the image of their hearts eaten by a predatory god. The sun lowered. The black hawk landed on a neighboring hill covered in grass. We jumped out and took position on a precipice. We crouched and stared through our sights and night vision binoculars. Oh my god, Dryden said as he squinted through his acog. Are you seeing this? There was a campfire, tents, and bodies in the distance. The corpses looked starved. They in rows, as if they were about to be burnt or buried. They all wore the scorpion uniform. A figure walked past them. I recognized her. I found Alessia, I said. We take her alive, Card said as he pulled out the same tranquilizer gun he had used on me a day and a half ago. She knows where Victoria is. Is anyone else with her? The dead, Dryden said. We're heading in, Card said. Maintain concealment.
We approached the pyramid. The sounds of rattling snakes and the smell of rotting flesh wafted towards us with each step. We crouched low in the bushes within 15 feet of the soul devourer. A hatchet flew by my head. A net wrapped around my body. Card pulled out his gun and fired. A masked scorpion ran near me, and while I wanted to shoot, the net constricted my body and I could not lift my weapon. He hit me upside the head with the butt of his AK. I lost consciousness. I woke up. Everything came into focus like an image in a microscope. I heard arguing in Spanish. Looking over with my wrists tied in vines, I saw Morales hung upside down from a palm tree. Right by his side were Dryden and Card bound in the same way. Most of our gear was gone. I felt my knives were still intact, but there was no way of using them. Alessia smiled at us as a campfire's flames roared behind her. Next to Alessia was a folded-out briefcase lined with hacksaws, rods, pliers and needles. Where is Victoria? I yelled at her. The soul devourer laughed and walked towards me. She reached out and grabbed my jaw. She leaned in close enough to kiss me. They're inside, she said, pointing to the mouth of the pyramid. See all those bodies? She gestured to the men drained of blood. Alessia pulled what looked like the front of a human skull, with two bands near the back. It resembled a Dio de los Murdos fashion item. Leathery snake skin wrapped around the bone matter. Victoria's lover is the one responsible for this, Alessia said. We didn't kill him for sport, we did it for vengeance. Do you even know what the Pukins are, gringo? Shapeshifters. Creatures able to take different forms. The boy wandered around the temple one night when we fell asleep after he tried to escape. He found the mask, one we knew as sacred, but his ignorance cost him and us everything. He decided to put it on and he resurrected them. Victoria is about to become a feast for the Pukins. My men were as well after her foolish boyfriend fell victim to his own curiosity. You are soon to be, also. Ares Unipera Tonta, Morales said. Pinche Pero, she said after walking towards him. You'll be the first one I torture. Morales brought his hands down. A knife slid from one of his bracers. He cut the vines which imprisoned him. He dug the knife into Alessia's forehead. She slumped to the earth. He bent upwards and cut the bindings on his feet before landing on his back. The same guard who had knocked me out unleashed a spurt of bullets at the escaped ranger, who pivoted to the side. Morales grabbed a Beretta off Alessia's belt and ended the scorpion's life with a shot to the chest. He cut the rest of his team members down from the bindings. Card had a black eye, Dryden had a scrape on his forehead, and Hain looked exhausted. We retrieved our gear from their tents and put on our combat attire again. You heard her, Card said as he motioned to the mouth of the pyramid. Victoria's in there. Let's go. What about the Pukins? Dryden asked. You know, the shapeshifters brought back to life? You believe in old wives' tales? Card asked. Olesia was trying to scare us. Dryden stared at the seal. I don't see how these men could have had blood removed from their bodies, sir. It doesn't add up. Not our problem, Card said. Focus on the goal at hand. We've all seen worse and you know it. Let's go in. Dryden nodded, and we went into the temple. There was a long corridor with a floor made of stone blocks. The first few walls were heaps of ancient mortar. Once we were in a larger area with hung torches which lit the way, we walked on hollow ground. The Mayan interior had stucco friezes. 
Depictions of human figures lined the barriers. They had elaborate bird headdresses, jade jewels, and each one sat cross-legged. Ceramic vessels were on the shelves against the walls. Glyphs of goddesses with snake heads and other deified rulers of an age long gone greeted us. We went into another chamber. A wooden funerary mask with emerald beaded teeth hung in the center and gazed down at us in warning. In the next hall, there were holes in the ceiling. Fluorescence from the moon and stars pierced through them as beams. Obelisks lined up like an Aztec Stonehenge. Victoria was in the middle of the room. She wore a white top and black cargo pants given to her by the cartel caked in blood. She was staring at the ceiling and looked at me as I approached. She was bound to one of the pillars. I cut the ropes. Your father sent us to save you, Card said. They, she said. Who's they? Morales asked. They're coming for us. The sound of hissing filled the room. Something moved to my left. When I turned with my gun aimed, I saw Dryden lifted off his feet and carried towards the ceiling. His form floated through the beams of light. He screamed, released a few shots, and vanished. The remaining four of us pointed our guns up. Dryden fell back down to the ground. He was pale, thin, and devoid of blood, like the men who were out front. His breathing had ceased. The thing swooped down. It was a serpent the size of a battering ram used to tear down doors on medieval castles. Two black leather wings outstretched on either side. The wings had sharp tips laced through it like sticks used to hold a kite together. Card Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Pulled out his knife and slashed at the monster. The stringy and fibrous gliding implements tore. Blood spurted from it onto his clothes. Hane came up from behind and tried to climb onto its back, but its body was too slick. I ran up to Hane. I climbed onto his shoulders and leapt onto the creature's back. I yelled out a battle cry and emptied a clip into the pukin's head after pointing the gun straight down. It fell forward like a slinky. I landed on my side and slid from its flesh. Card grabbed Victoria's hand, and ran towards the entranceway after motioning for us to do the same. We followed at a sprint. One of the beasts slithered out of the shadows as fast as a vehicle going full speed. Its body writhed with serpentine movements towards us. Its wings folded onto its form with tightening muscles. Its body locked up to spring at us as grotesque noises echoed in the chamber. Card pulled the pin on his grenade and threw it into the creature's mouth. It exploded in a cloud of entrails as we continued running. Another pukin followed behind it. As the third one neared us, it began to change its own form, 
mutating. I was not eager to find out what shape it would take next. I lobbed a grenade behind me as we went outside. The creature's head made it to the threshold of the mouth of the pyramid. Morales turned around and began shooting at the eyes. The creature's tongue lashed out and hit him in the knees, and its gaze burrowed into him. Morales' gun dropped as his body froze and began seeping out blood in front of me. The red fluid soaked into the earth and gushed towards the fangs of the monster. I lobbed more grenades until my belt was empty. I reached for Morales' belt and retrieved his key chain and another bomb. I threw it at the pukin. We ran over the row of dead scorpions. Victoria tripped over Olesia's body. I helped pick her up, and we continued to run. The base of the pyramid was the first to get wiped out by the blasts. The rest fell as if a hurricane had wreaked havoc. The stones tumbled down onto the creature's body, halting its advance. Morales got buried with it in a maelstrom of fragmented rock. We ran up the hill and jumped into the Black Hawk. It was two minutes before Victoria was secure in a chair and we lifted off the ground. As we ascended, I looked down and saw more slithering forms. I wished I could go back and retrieve Morales and Dryden to give them the proper burials they deserved. I grabbed an RPG from the back, leveled it, took in a deep breath and fired a missile at both of the snakes. The targets evaporated in flames. The palm trees, bodies and blocks of granite became engulfed in an inferno below. The blaze and debris rose as an angry storm before it all collapsed back down. The mission was successful, Card said. We did it. Good job, men. We remained silent for hours after as the desert landscape passed beneath us. The keychain Morales had kept stared back at me. The scorpion frozen in amber. I decided to pocket it as a keepsake, a remembrance of the man who served by my side. We were soon over the border and back into the United States. My dad sent you? Victoria asked. We all nodded. Olesia told me my father's been funding money for rival cartels in this region, Victoria said. She stared out at the night sky before she continued, he's involved in arms deals down here for terrible people. He always told me his money came from oil. He lied. They didn't take me hostage with the hopes of making money, they did it to torment him. None of us said a word. Victoria reached into one of the side pockets of her cargo pants and pulled out the Mayan skull mask. The very object which had caused the rift between what we recognized as real and the unknown. The item which had allowed those beasts to escape from their world of sleep, their nests. This made me feel alive when I was wearing it, Victoria said. It made Lucas feel amazing, too. It brings out a sense of godliness. Have the three of you ever felt anything like that? I pulled out my .45 and shot the mask. A fog filled the inside of the chopper, emanating from the remaining pieces which rained down on us. I kicked what landed on the ground out of the compartment to the nether sands. Howard LaSalle's mansion came into view as Victoria screamed at us. And. I worked in Arlington National Cemetery while I was in the army. The tomb guards always talked about seeing or just hearing soldiers marching some nights. We were cataloging graves one night when I thought I saw a soldier in my team up ahead, so I called him over. He answered from behind me. When I looked back, the other soldier was gone. I am a skeptic and I believe everything paranormal has a real-world explanation, but I'm still trying to figure that one out.
former USCG here. Saw a ghost and some creepy shit happen when we were removing the old Fresnel lens from the Prescott light in Michigan. Also, seen some weird creepy lights in St. Elmo's fire near the old Wagashans light. Compasses and radios all quit, radar and GPS wouldn't work either. The light near Sturgeon Bay is haunted as well, and we stayed at the light near two rivers, and the whole family saw the ghost. There are several lights in the Great Lakes that are open to active, reserve, and retired military members as vacation rentals. We stayed at Raleigh Point Lighthouse and the Sherwood Point Lighthouse. They have visitors' logs that are like a diary, and multiple stories are in there about the hauntings, dating back to the 70s. I know that Sherwood Point is haunted. When I was in Groton CT, for basic enlisted submarine school. I was roving the barracks at night. I had AUI, under instruction, so I was showing him the ropes. What to check and and how to check. It was mainly fire extinguishers and secured doors. Well on the second or third floor of the barracks there is a recreation room with a TV and chairs and a piano. Mind you everyone was asleep and it was two in the morning. Well I decided to go and see if I remembered how to play the piano a little. We decided to continue to finish the patrol so we started walking down the hall when we heard a single piano note go off. We both heard it while I was in mid-conversation so we kind of looked back, and then we both looked at each other to see if we both had heard the same noise. We shrugged it off as our imaginations running wild. But as soon as we got to the end of the hall and opened the door to the stairway a sharp key note was heard coming from down the hall in the direction of the room with the piano. We left the floor as soon as possible and later shared the story with some shipmates and they told us stories of sailors that had died in the barracks. The rain drizzled down in a haunting rhythm as I navigated the unfamiliar streets of an upper-class neighborhood, the kind where mansions lined the roads like silent sentinels guarding their secrets. My quest for a reliable used car had led me to a Craigslist ad promising a well-maintained older sedan, the type I preferred. The address pointed me toward a mansion that exuded opulence. It seemed out of place for a simple car transaction, but I dismissed the thought, attributing it to the eccentricities of the wealthy. The seller, a middle-aged man with a bland smile, greeted me at the door. We exchanged pleasantries, and he led me to the garage where the sedan stood, waiting to be scrutinized. As I examined the car, my suspicions grew. It was in pristine condition, almost too good to be true. Despite my reservations, I decided to go ahead with the inspection. However, my gut feeling intensified when the seller casually mentioned that another interested party would be arriving shortly. I felt a twinge of annoyance but chose to wait patiently. The minutes stretched like eternity, and the sound of rain tapping against the garage roof became a maddening drumbeat. Finally, after 45 minutes of relentless waiting, I decided enough was enough. I approached the seller, frustration etched across my face. Look, I've been waiting here for almost an hour. If you have another interested buyer, I'll leave. I won't play this waiting game any longer. The seller offered a half-hearted apology, assuring me that the other party was on their way. My patience worn thin, I decided to make my exit. Before leaving, however, I couldn't resist sharing my discontent. I leaned in and whispered, you know, I was planning on paying close to your asking price in cash. 
but after this wait, I'm not so sure anymore. And, by the way, I just told the other guy all the known issues with the car, the head gasket problems, the whole deal. Figured he should know what he's getting into. The seller shot me a venomous glare, a mix of anger and frustration. I felt a twisted sense of satisfaction, knowing that I had just turned the tables on a man who had tried to manipulate the situation for his benefit. As I walked away, the rain intensified, mirroring the storm of emotions swirling inside me. I detested greed and those who preyed on the vulnerability of others. Little did I know, my actions would set in motion a series of events that would lead me into the depths of a chilling and unforeseen nightmare. Days later, as I drove my trusty old sedan, I noticed a shadowy figure in my rearview mirror. A cold shiver ran down my spine as I realized it was the seller's son of a bitch lookalike, tailing me with an intensity that sent shivers down my spine. Paranoia crept in, and every turn I took, every stoplight I encountered, the figure remained relentless in its pursuit. I tried to shake off the unease, convincing myself it was just a coincidence. But the feeling persisted, growing more ominous with each passing day. Late one night, as I parked my car in front of my apartment, a chill wind whispered through the air, carrying with it an eerie presence that sent a shudder through my soul. The next morning, I discovered a cryptic message scrawled on my windshield, greed has its price. Panic set in as I realized the handwriting matched that of the seller. The knowledge that I had angered someone capable of such malevolence filled me with dread. From that point on, my life unraveled in a series of inexplicable events. Strange noises echoed through my apartment at night, and shadowy figures lurked in the corners of my vision. The sedan I had purchased, once a symbol of my triumph over greed, now seemed to carry a curse that clung to me like a relentless specter. Sleep became a distant memory as nightmares invaded my every moment. The line between reality and terror blurred, and the walls of my apartment seemed to close in, suffocating me with the weight of my own paranoia. In a desperate attempt to break free from the sinister grip that had entangled my life, I decided to part ways with the cursed sedan. As I handed the keys to the new owner, a sense of relief washed over me. Little did I know, however, that the horrors unleashed by that fateful Craigslist encounter were far from over. The following nights became a descent into madness. Unseen hands seemed to reach out from the shadows, and whispers echoed through the darkness, accusing me of my own sins. The line between illusion and reality blurred, and the spectral figure of the seller haunted my every waking moment. In a final act of desperation, I sought the help of a paranormal investigator, hoping to rid myself of the malevolent force that had taken root in my life. As we delved into the supernatural realm, the truth unfolded, a curse, born from greed and manipulation, had latched onto me, seeking to extract a price for my defiance. The investigator performed rituals, incantations, and cleansings, but the malevolent force only grew stronger. The sinister whispers intensified, accusing me of betrayal and greed. The shadows, once confined to the corners, now stretched like tendrils, threatening to engulf me in an eternal night. In a desperate bid for salvation, I returned to the mansion where it all began. The rain poured down, a torrential downpour that mirrored the storm within. As I stood in the abandoned garage, the echoes of my confrontation with the cellar reverberated through the empty space. A ghastly figure materialized before me, the distorted visage of the cellar, his eyes filled with malice. 
you thought you could escape the consequences of your actions? He hissed, his voice a chilling echo. The air grew icy cold as the curse tightened its grip, the shadows closing in. In that moment, I realized the true horror of my folly. The curse was not confined to the car or the seller's vendetta, it was a manifestation of my own guilt, a relentless specter born from the darkness within. As the shadows enveloped me, I felt a searing pain, not physical but metaphysical, a reckoning for the sins that had brought me to this cursed crossroads. The rain continued to pour, washing away the remnants of my existence, leaving behind only the haunting whispers of a cautionary tale, a tale of greed, manipulation, and the chilling price one pays for crossing the thin line between desire and damnation. My family and I needed a break, so we had to leave the city because it was very stressful. Both my husband and I had full-time jobs, he worked in an office, and I worked at a nursery. Even though I loved working with children, it could be tough sometimes dealing with more than 30 noisy four-year-olds. It could be a nightmare instead of a dream. Last month, we were searching on Craigslist to find a vacation home. Please don't laugh, but sadly, we didn't have a big budget and couldn't afford an expensive luxury hotel trip. Looking back, using Craigslist wasn't the smartest choice. We probably should have used Airbnb, which is safer and has some rules for people who rent out their homes. But on Craigslist, there were many options. So, I started looking at the holiday homes and rentals. We wanted to go far away from the city, preferably to the countryside near farms. The rent was quite reasonable because, well, what was there to see in the countryside? Mostly cows, grass, and trees. Not many people were interested in that. My kids were always on their smartphones, so that's another reason we chose rural areas. In the end, we booked a place, a nice little cottage with a few extra buildings on the edge of a big farm. The man who was renting it said he owned the whole farm, and he wanted $100 a night for us to stay in the cottage. That seemed okay because we also got our own small garden with a fence and some other cool stuff. I contacted the owner and told him I wanted to give him some money as a security deposit. He agreed, and I did that in just a few seconds. Now let's skip the difficult part of getting my family ready. I only had two kids, or three if you count my husband. Getting everyone ready was a big challenge, so I won't go into all the details of that. Just think about it, five hours of arguments, kicking, screaming, and tantrums in the car on the way there. The trip itself took a couple of hours, which wasn't too bad. When we finally arrived, I was pleasantly surprised by how nice the whole place looked. Well, that was until I got to the main part of the farm. At first, the entrance of the estate had shiny new metal gates, and there were also a couple of statues on both sides like stone columns. But as we drove further in, things started to look worse. Some of the buildings were falling apart, covered in mold, and had missing bricks. Some of the windows were broken and old, like they were from the 1940s. They were single glazed, which means they had only one layer of glass. Not a great start. But after following the instructions from the owner, we finally found the small bungalow or cottage we had paid to rent. We had paid for a whole week, which felt like too long to me, but we couldn't afford any longer. Plus, I didn't want to stay any longer, especially after seeing the place. So there we were, sitting in our truck in front of this. Well, it wasn't even a cottage. 
It looked like it had been built a very long time ago by hand with cobblestone like bricks. The truck was running as I put it in neutral. My husband and I had been taking turns driving. It was around 3 p.m. By then, and we hadn't left until late, which caused all the tantrums and arguments. I wondered if this trip was really worth it as we sat there in front of the cottage. So I decided to check out the place. It was important to see if it was even suitable to stay in. It didn't look like a place where people could live comfortably. I know it was summer, but we didn't come here to camp, and having holes in the building wasn't acceptable to me. I wanted my money back, and I wanted it right away. My husband was trying to tell me that this was normal, but I wasn't convinced. So, I stepped out of the car, still arguing, to check out the place. We told the kids to stay in the car, locked it, and then my husband and I went to see what it was like. We found the key where the owner had told us it would be under the floor mat. Opening the door was no problem. When we went inside, it wasn't as bad as I had expected. I went quiet, and my husband was trying to explain that it just looked bad from the outside. Well, as we moved from room to room, I started to think that maybe he was right. It was clean and tidy, a three-bedroom cottage with a bathroom that wasn't covered in mold, falling apart, or filled with sewage. The inside of the place actually looked pretty good, which was surprising given how it looked from the outside. So, we decided to stay. I unlocked the truck and told the kids to come inside. We brought all our suitcases and bags in and got settled. By this time, it was around 4 p.m., and we started to relax. The furniture, appliances, and everything inside were old, but it wasn't terrible. The outside of the cottage was in bad shape, but they had made an effort to keep the inside nice. It seemed like they had put in new flooring and did some renovations. As the evening approached, we still had to prepare dinner. I had bought a lot of supplies, including dry pasta, rice, some sauces, and even some meats that were in our cooler in the back. On the first night, we were going to have spaghetti bolognese, and that's when everything went wrong. At that time, I was starting to feel comfortable and relaxed. I was in the kitchen, the kids were in their rooms playing on their iPads, and my husband was sitting and watching the small old TV. I was daydreaming for some reason, not sure why, while preparing the food in the kitchen. I looked out the window. I was actually starting to enjoy this calm feeling. Normally, all I saw was busy traffic on the street below, with the city constantly making noise and bright lights. I'll be honest, I got used to it, but that didn't mean it didn't drive me crazy. I just got used to it over time. As I was cooking, everything was going well. In fact, it didn't take me too long to make the bolognese, maybe about 15 to 20 minutes. I just had to cook the ground meat and boil the pasta. The sauce came in a jar, ready to use. I poured the sauce in, mixed everything together, and heated it in a big frying pan that I had bought, by the way. Yeah, I was a bit picky. My youngest daughter liked to have her bolognese separate from her pasta, which was kind of strange. She preferred to have the spaghetti in one bowl without sauce and the bolognese meat and sauce in another bowl. After I cooked everything and prepared her separate bowls, I served the meal and called everyone to the kitchen table. The kitchen table was old and made of carved wood. It looked like someone had made it by hand, and it was probably the nicest thing in the house, although my husband would disagree, as he was still glued to the old small television. When we all gathered at the table and were ready for dinner, my little girl said something really strange. 
Just as she was about to eat her spaghetti, she picked up her fork and said, You, mom, why is it green? I glanced over and didn't think much of it, but when I went closer, I noticed that it did have a slight greenish tint. The pasta had a greenish color, which I found a bit odd. I couldn't see it on our plates because it was already mixed with the red bolognese sauce and meat. I told her not to worry and made up a story about it being a different kind of pasta. I wasn't being honest, but I was just so tired from two hours of traveling and the stress of seeing the outside of this place. We all finished our meal, and not more than a couple of hours later, the trouble started. First, my husband had to run to the toilet and was throwing up a lot. Then, my daughter started having really bad diarrhea. Luckily, this cottage had two bathrooms. To make a long and gross story short, we later found out that the water we used to cook the pasta, which came from a well near the cottage on the farm, was contaminated. It hadn't been tested for safety, and it caused all our stomach problems. After that, we all got sick and had to stay in the cottage for four days. It was a tough time. When we finally got better, we went straight back home. But during our illness, we had to have doctors visit us. At one point, my two youngest kids were almost dehydrated because they were vomiting and having diarrhea so much. So, I wouldn't call it a vacation, and it was far from relaxing. The person who owned the farm and estate didn't respond to us after that. We didn't want to take any legal action because we just didn't want to deal with it, and my husband felt the same way. But there was definitely something wrong with the water. It had a greenish color, and the well was clearly contaminated with some kind of bacteria that didn't agree with our stomachs. Those four days were awful, really awful. We were so desperate that my husband ended up staying in one bathroom, and my two children stayed in the other. I stayed outside and used a big bowl I found in the kitchen. It was a large bowl they used for mixing flour and baking. Thankfully, I didn't have diarrhea, but I was very sick too. We all tried to sleep it off, but during those four days, there was constant vomiting and crying. It was terrible, and the worst was on the third day when we called 911 because of my youngest daughter. Every time she tried to drink something, she would just throw it back up. I was getting really scared, but I was so tired that making the call to 911 was hard for me. When the medical team arrived, they gave all of us shots in our behinds to stop the vomiting. It worked, and we all started feeling better. After getting the shots, in the end, we all recovered fully and returned. About two years ago I was looking for a new apartment. I found one on Craigslist that was really inexpensive, $1,000, cheap in the New York City area, two bedrooms, and close to my current job. It was a steal. I emailed the guy and he emails me back with an apartment application. Loving the price in the apartment, I fill out the application. Part of the application had some specific details about me like phone numbers, work number, where I work etc. I then get a response back from this person and he says that I was accepted and to give him a call. The number was an international number. Good old Google tells me the number was in Nigeria. I was like flux. I've been conned. Anyway, he says that I need to wire him $2,000, $1,000 deposit, and $1,000 first month's rent, and he will FedEx me the keys to the apartment. He gives the Western Union information for me to use for the transfer. He sends another email with pictures of the apartment which were awesome. Hardwood floors, 
New kitchen appliances, lots of windows. I was in love with this apartment. LOL. I was scared. This guy had my information. Thank goodness that no information like my SSN or driver's license number was needed in the application. For like 4 hours I was trying to figure out what to do. I finally emailed the guy back and told him that I found another apartment for $800 and I had accepted it. I added also that I really could not afford the $1000 and the other apartment was more my budget. I added, thank you for your time, and God bless for good measure. I never heard back from the guy. And nothing in my credit report about anything suspicious has come about. I was selling a camper. Guy comes to look at it. He's interested. We negotiate and agree on a price. It was for more money than I paid for the camper three years before. I'm stoked. Find out he's from out of state. Doesn't have a local bank. Can't give me cash. Wants to write a personal check. I say okay, but I'll hold on to the title and camper until the funds clear into my account. He agrees. I deposit the check and wait. Three days later he texts me that the funds left his account and he wants to come get the camper. I call my bank. Nope. No money in my account yet, it can take more than a week they say. I let him know. He flies off the handle and says I'm trying to cheat him. Guy doesn't understand the process of transferring money between banks with a personal check. He starts threatening me and insisting that he's gonna come get the camper that day. I say no he's not. Then my phone rings. This guy called the cops. I explain what's going on to the officer. He's cool about it. Says to wait a few more days. I do. The fun's clear. I call the buyer in the morning and tell him to meet me at my house. He literally shows up 30 seconds later. He was sitting in his truck a block down the street just out of sight watching my place. He hooks up to the camper and leaves in a huff. One week later I get a text from him apologizing for his behavior. I accepted the apology. I learned from this. Now it's cash only or we go to my bank and the buyer can get a cash advance with their debit card on the spot. Went to the gas station down by my house. I go there daily. It was myself and my partner. We drove over with our two doggies. Small wiener dogs, one is 5 years, always alert. A barker, other is 11 weeks. Super friendly, once we got there we parked at the pumps. My boyfriend asked what I wanted and went inside. After a couple minutes a man walked out from the station and went to his gold-colored Malibu parked at the next pump beside me. I was holding my phone pretending to not be looking. I do this often I don't like people, and my older dog was in the driver window waiting. She was nit barking or growling. This guy approached the window but still at a distance says she is so cute. Can I pet her? I replied with I don't know she doesn't usually like people. But you can try. He reached towards her. Window was half down. My older dog jumped into the back seat and began barking normal behavior. He then leans into the car halfway and takes her out of my hands. I was trying to keep a grip and but didn't want to hurt my dog so I let go as my boyfriend was finishing up in the gas station. Kind of busy but can see him through the window. My puppy begins to screech as soon as he touches her and my hands leave her. She is screaming like she is in pain. I had adjusted myself and he awkwardly shoves her back to me as I'm trying to snatch her back and my boyfriend is coming out. 
He asks who the guy was I said I don't know. The guy then got into his car and drove away. We also drove away and went home. I told my boyfriend he wanted to pet the other dog but reached, grabbed the pup and why but shoved her back real quick. I have no clue who he was or is. He said he was rude to the workers and was happy I was okay. A very quick scary interaction. My boyfriend and I recently bought a trailer in the middle of nowhere. We are pretty far from civilization and there's not much work in the city we live. It costs a solid $50 in gas round trip to go into town so needless to say we like to plan accordingly and get all our errands done in one day. Grocery shopping, laundry, etc. What happens from this point I most certainly realize has a ton of red flags however in the moment all in can do is question my own personal sanity. Like I can't even believe I am experiencing this. I find an ad in the domestic section of Craigslist. A couple claims they are getting ready to move and need help watching their newborn baby. May need to do some light housekeeping while the baby is asleep, please include a picture of yourself in the responding email. I go back and forth with the lady and we decide to meet at 12 pm the following day. That morning I am texting with her and let her know I'm running about 15 minutes behind. It was towards the end of the month and I had exceeded my data amount and could not map quest the directions and we had become lost. I went into an apartment complex's office and asked if they would be so kind to please print the directions for me. I had left my phone in the car and while inside the lady had called to give me directions, I had texted her to let her know I'm lost. My boyfriend answered the phone and she became frazzled saying to please hold, that she was backing out her truck right then. Prior to this conversation I had told her that I would prefer to arrive when she was home, she then told me that she was home now but now she isn't and is backing out truck? Didn't make a lot of sense however my boyfriend told her I'd be there shortly. I asked him to please walk me to the door. Upon getting to the house, the entire perimeter their home had about 6 cameras in all directions. There was a huge storage container on the street. The car in the driveway had a hand-typed sign on window that said baby in car. Then the car parked in front of the house on street had a young pretty Mexican girl couldn't have been more than 20, years old passed out with her mouth open and drooling, windows hardly cracked in the middle of summer. To paint the picture, my boyfriend has some visible tattoos tall white man, heart of gold but could appear intimidating. We knocked on the door several times for a few minutes and didn't get an answer. I call the lady and she says oh just keep knocking he's home. He finally answers the door and the hair on the back of my neck raised. He is very creepy looking and speaks in a thick Russian accent saying no never mind we called someone else. I responded, I just spoke to your wife I don't understand? And he just repeats himself. My boyfriend gets upset and says we drove very far to meet you. Do you have gas money for our time? This man doesn't open the door more than 6 inches during this entire conversation. He then closes the door and locks it, goes to get $20 for us quickly sticks his hand through the door and we leave. As we are walking out we both look at the girl again not moved at all, comment how weird this was. And take off. I call the wife's phone back which is an out of state Google voice phone number. She never answered nor returned any of my text messages. I called my mother to let her know what happened and she insists that we call the police for a welfare check. We did just that. Needless to say I'm a lot more cautious while looking for online gigs and about a week later I'm looking on the same Craigslist section. 
Craigslist typically will show a map to the major cross streets for where the gig is taking place. This particular area is mainly a college town and only has very few suburban homes, mainly retired couples. Sure enough they posted another ad, same cross streets and request for picture, except a little different gig. This time it was for an in-home dog sitter. I totally feel I dodged a major bullet. Please be careful everyone. I saw a UFO when I was in basic training at Fort Lee Nordwood. I was walking from one building to another to start my firewatch shift when I noticed something as bright as a star make a zigzagging pattern at impossible speeds and then disappear over the horizon. I had never been more clear-headed and sober in my life so I'm sure I saw something. 